Hello once again, listener, and I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology Podcast in conversation with... I'm Hugh Thomas, the Deputy Editor. In today's episode, we're discussing a newly published global systematic review and meta-analysis on the incidence of HIV and hepatitis C virus infection among people who inject drugs. And I am delighted to have the corresponding author on the paper, Dr. Adelina Arteni, joining me to discuss the work. Dr. Arteni is an epidemiologist whose research is focused on the prevention of hepatitis C, HIV, and other drug-related harms. She's a postdoctoral research fellow based at the University of Bristol in the UK, where she explores strategies for measuring or reducing HCV transmission in different risk groups using epidemic modeling, evidence synthesis, and longitudinal methods. Dr. Arteni, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today and welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thank you very much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be um, discussing our project with you. Brilliant. So thank you. Before we get on to your new paper, I wanted to start more broadly and ask why are good estimates of the incidence of HIV and HCV among people who inject drugs important? And, and what did we really know about them before you conducted your study? Yeah, that's a, that's a good and important question. So I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, from an epidemiological and public health perspective, incidence is really the metric that uh, will tell us where the epidemic is going. Um, so far, there have been a number of studies that have synthesized prevalence of HIV and hepatitis C in people who inject drugs. And uh, prevalence in the, is a good indicator of the current burden of disease. Uh, but that doesn't really tell us where, where the epidemic is going. And, and that's where incidence comes in. Uh, and so it's a really important metric in order to inform uh, prevention strategies that need to be implemented as well as uh, treatment strategies. Uh, another reason um, relates to the 2030 targets. Um, so uh, the WHO has um, um, implemented targets calling for the elimination of hepatitis C by 2030 as a public health threat. Uh, in parallel, the UNAIDS have called for ending HIV-AIDS by 2030. And one of the key metrics by which countries are expected to validate that these targets have been achieved is by measuring uh, incidents. And so, and I would also add that it's particularly important to measure that in people who inject drugs because um, incidents in the general population, the strategies for measuring incidents in the general population, the recruitment strategies are unlikely to capture incidents in people who inject drugs specifically. So it's, it's really important to do studies targeted at this population specifically. Absolutely. Moving on then to your new study, you know, we've trailed a little bit, but uh, can you describe a bit the, the, the methods and, and the design of your, of your systematic review of meta-analysis? What were the kind of key aspects you had to consider? Were there any difficult decisions in there? Uh, absolutely. So we um, did a systematic review of studies published between January 1st, 2000, up until the end of December, 2022. Uh, we searched several databases and we were quite flexible in the, we searched for several keywords that related to uh, studies that, that would ca capture studies that either measure HIV or hepatitis C incidents in people who inject drugs. Um, I would mention that the key inclusion criteria were that the study was done in a, in a population of people with uh, a history of injecting drugs, and second, that the estimates of incidents were measured. So this could be either by uh, through studies in which we uh, follow up participants at risk of infection over time, retest them, 
or through assays for recent infection, like BED assays for HIV. So any study that used uh, modeling, for example, to get an indirect estimate of incidence was not included. We followed the standard approaches for doing a systematic review. We followed the PRISMA guidelines. Um, I would say one of the added strengths of this review is that we tried as much as possible to go beyond the literature that is published. Um, and so I, I really don't want to take all the credit for that because a lot of this was supported by my team at the University of Bristol, Peter Vickerman in particular. Uh, but what we did is to reach out to different PIs in different uh, uh, countries who we know are doing cohort studies and people who inject drugs or other studies that uh, can estimate incidents to ask them if they have unpublished data that could be included in, a, in our review. Uh, and, and that was, I think, uh, an important process because in the end, about a quarter of estimates that we have in our review are unpublished. Um, and, and so we've extracted our primary outcomes were incidents, HIV or hepatitis C, but also we tried to extract information about how the study was conducting the characteristics of the participants to try then to understand a little bit the differences in incidents that we expected to see. Uh, and finally, we were interested in also extracting information on how risk of HIV and hepatitis C infection would vary as a function of age and gender, because there are some studies previously that had suggested that risk would be higher in, in certain uh, subgroups, women, particularly any younger individuals. And so before we get on to the key results, um, I was just wondering what, what you made of the quality and the depth of the evidence that you identified that, because I mean, you know, it's that old saying that it's, you know, um, and a systematic review of meta-analysis is only going to be good as, as good as the evidence that goes into it. So what did you, what did you find on that, on that angle? Yeah, I think that gets to the core of our uh, review, I would say, because our aim was not only to quantify incidents, but also to get a picture uh, on the uh, scope of the available data. And in a nutshell, we found that the data on this are quite limited globally uh, in people who inject drugs. So we've identified 64 estimates for HIV incidents and then 66 estimates for um, hepatitis C incidents. And some of those were from the same countries. So in the end, we found that only about 12 to 14 percent of countries have an estimate of incidents in people who inject drugs. Also important, we found that there was a considerable geographic skew in the availability of estimates. So only one uh, low-income country had data on uh, HIV and hepatitis C incidents. And for hepatitis C, 80% of estimates were from high-income countries. So there is a considerable gap in the data that are available. Um, and finally, some of these estimates were quite old as well. Uh, we've, um, by design, we've included studies that were published as early as 2000. And so that means that some of these estimates was measured in the 1990s, and they are probably uh, outdated at this point. Um, so unfortunately, the data overall are quite sparse. Um, in terms of the quality of evidence, we've also did a risk of bias assessment. So we've used an adapted version of the Newcastle Ottawa scale to score our studies. And uh, the uh, median risk of bias score was six, suggesting that studies were at moderate risk of bias. And so the scale rated these studies on different criteria, and we found that most of them were penalized on the sample representativeness, uh, which is not very surprising because uh, we are, uh, these are studies that are done among people who inject drugs. And so uh, the behavior that sort of defines the population injection drug use 
is stigmatized, it is criminalized in many countries. And so there isn't a sampling frame from which we, would, we could construct our, our um, sample that is representative of the target population. So many of these studies use convenient sampling. Um, and the other element on which studies were scored a little bit lower uh, relates to retention. Many of these were cohort studies, and uh, it's quite common for, for people to be lost to follow-up. But the more they are lost to follow-up, the less likely the incidence that is estimated is representative of the general population. So there are limitations with using uh, cohorts data to, to estimate incidence. Of course, but I, I would say, you know, particularly one, one thing that comes through in the paper is actually that, you know, like that cautiousness and that care that I think you've taken over the, over the analysis approach. And I think that really comes through there. Um, so moving on to the results then, um, what, what would you consider your most important findings and were they expected? Were there some surprises there? What did you see? Yeah, so I think, I think one of the main findings relates to the data that are available, which we've just discussed. And I think that emphasizes the fact that even though we need incidents, it's quite hard to measure incidents. Cohort studies are generally expensive. They're logistically difficult to implement, um, much more difficult than, say, a survey study. Uh, the other uh, important finding relates to the actual levels of incidence that we found um, in people who inject drugs for HIV and hepatitis C, and importantly, how heterogeneous these were from study to study. So HIV incidence uh, ranged from a low of 0.1 per 100 person years to a high of 32. And then hepatitis C incidence, the, the, the range was even greater from a low of 0.2 to a high of 72 uh, per 100 person year. So a lot of variation from study to study. Uh, and the pooled estimates uh, were 1.7 for HIV and 12 for hepatitis C per 100 person years. And so we've expected there to be a lot of heterogeneity. And we were what we were really interested is to see whether there are real differences in incidence by geography. However, it was uh, relatively difficult to separate that from other sources of heterogeneity that are simply due to the methodology of these studies and how they were conducted. In these studies, participants were recruited using different strategies, using different eligibility, eligibility criteria. Um, but we did look into this. And once we've accounted for some of those differences and how the studies were conducted, we found that there were differences for HIV by geographic region. So on average, the incidence for HIV was more than two times greater in low and middle income countries compared to high income countries. Uh, and there are probably several reasons for this, but um, at least in part, one of the reasons is due to the fact that the access to prevention services is uh, generally lower in low and middle income countries. So that was for HIV. We, were, we did not find a similar uh, result for uh, hepatitis C, but um, most of the estimates we had for hepatitis C were from high-income countries, about 80%. So there simply wasn't enough variation in the data to pick up any differences if, if there were any. But the other important finding relates to um, how risk varies uh, among people who inject drugs by age and gender. So we found that for both HIV and hepatitis C, younger individuals had uh, on average a 50% higher risk of becoming infected, and women had a 20 to 40% higher risk of uh, becoming infected depending on, on the virus. So uh, th that's a, another important finding because it illustrates that the risk of infection is not 
um, uniformly distributed in the, within the population and that there are certain subgroups who have a higher risk and uh, who deserve particular uh, attention when it comes to the services uh, to, to prevent uh, these infections. Absolutely. And I think that makes quite a nice segue on to my next question, which is, you know, what policy implications do these findings have? Now, you've seen different different incidences in, in different groups and, and different subgroups, uh, across geographies, across ages, across genders. What does that mean for policy then? Because overall, we see that most studies suggest that incidence uh, for both HIV and especially for hepatitis C is high in people who inject drugs. The study calls for countries to keep track of these uh, these epidemics uh, in people who inject drugs. We saw that there is not enough data, that, but the data that are available suggest that uh, the incidence is high. So it's really important to implement surveillance um, strategies to monitor at incidence of HIV and hepatitis C uh, in in across uh, in, in different countries globally. Uh, and because the incidence is high, the other important thing, and we, and what we hope is that the study illustrates that there is a need to prioritize this population for prevention strat- strategies and for uh, treatment um, interventions as well. Uh, and also because we see these differences in risk, um, and uh, we found that younger individuals and women were more likely to acquire uh, uh, to become infected. Uh, that also means that we have to think about how can uh, the existing uh, programs and services can be adapted so that we reach and engage better with uh, those individuals who are at higher risk. And so we know, from, for example, from the literature that women specifically uh, experience specific, um, specific barriers when it comes to accessing harm reduction programs. Um, there is a stigma that is associated with the drug use and being pregnant or being a parent. There is concern of um, uh, losing child custody. And so often these are some of the reasons why women do not engage with these services. So these are some of the barriers I think that we need to think about going forward. Certainly some incredibly important thoughts there. I mean, I mean, you've touched on this a little bit, but where do you plan to take this work next? Yeah, we have a couple of exciting projects at the moment. So one of them, which is led by a PhD student in our team, uh, Joshua Dave, um, and we will be looking at um, overlapping risk behaviors, again, using this database of studies that we've compiled over time. So we know that there's different populations who have a higher risk of infection with HIV and hepatitis C. People who inject drugs are one of them, but also sex workers, men who have sex with men. Uh, and we generally tend to look at these populations separately and study their needs and uh, provide services that are tailored to the, this primary risk behavior that we uh, associate them with. But we know that there is a lot of overlap. Uh, and so uh, in the future, we plan to go back to these studies and to um, extract information on what proportion of people who inject drugs are likely to engage in sex work also, or what proportion of men who inject drugs also engage in sex with other men. Uh, and to see whether and to what extent the risk of infection is uh, increased in these individuals. And another project that we are currently working on is to uh, try and expand the evidence base that we have on incidents, because as we've discussed so far, the, the data are quite limited. 
um, to see whether there are alternative methods that we can use to, to obtain estimates of incidents in countries for which there is no data at the moment. So there are some different approaches uh, in which we can use prevalence to get an indirect estimate of incidents. Uh, and this is something that we're currently uh, working on at the moment. Brilliant. Well, we await the studies with interest. And uh, Dr. Chani, thank you very much once again for taking the time to talk to us today. You can read the article on the incidence of HIV and hepatitis C virus among people who can check drugs at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Arteni and thank you for listening to this episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast in conversation with. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With wherever you usually get your podcasts.